Today on the podcast, I have Steve Rice. He's served as a music publisher for some of the most recognized Christian songwriters, producers, artists all around the world. It's an awesome conversation. We talked about his new label, Centric Worship. We talked about songwriting and advice for new writers. And it was just a very, very important conversation for songwriters to tune into. So that's today on the CMB Podcast, Session 57. Welcome to the CMB Podcast, a podcast designed to serve people of faith who make music. If you're looking for practical and inspirational ideas to help you in your musical craft, then look no further. ChristianMusicBlog.com is all about helping you think differently about creativity through eyes of faith as you learn how to establish healthy musical habits and disciplines, fueling your creativity and making you more prolific for the glory of God. Hello and welcome to the 57th episode of the Christian Music Blog Podcast. We are all about serving artists, serving songwriters, serving music makers of any genre, any style in their journey of making that music and being creative through eyes of faith. Here at CNB, we cover a variety of subjects that matter to the Christian musician. If you're looking to grow in your artistic craft as a musician, as well as develop a biblical worldview of making music, then I invite you to join us because we at CNB myself included, are on this same journey. And so what I'll do is I'll bring on several um, different guests, a, a variety of guests. We have songwriters themselves come on the podcast, artists. We have um, authors come on the podcast. We have music industry um, executives come on the podcast. And it's just a great um, way to to grow and to get in on the conversation um, because there's a lot of subjects that matter. As I've already said, there's a variety of subjects that matter to you if you are a person of faith who makes music. And if it's your first time checking out our podcast today, I invite you to check out christianmusicblog.com slash gift. And I, I have something there for you, especially if you're a songwriter. It's how I use Evernote to stay more organized in my songwriting. Um, it's got a, a, a free PDF and a free MP3 on um, how to fully take advantage of Evernote's great features and, um, and stay organized as a songwriter. So go check that out. It's christianmusicblog.com slash gift. Okay, today on the podcast, we have Steve Rice. And Steve is a music publisher out of Nashville. He's worked with EMI, CMG. He was the VP of publishing there for a little while. He's worked with Integrity Music. He is currently at Centricity Publishing in Nashville and Franklin, actually Franklin, Tennessee. And um, he has just um, helped to launch a new label called Centric Worship. And their first release is called All the Saints, live from the Centric Worship Retreat, number one. And um, they're planning to do number two to be released um, this summer, actually. And so we we talked about a lot of different things today. We talked about his story becoming a publisher. We talked about uh, the modern worship movement and what encourages him about the last 15 years. Um, we talk about, of course, the new label and a lot more. So um, if you're a songwriter, I encourage you to get out a yellow pad or your Evernote app or whatever you have to take notes and to get close, draw close, and take some notes because there's a lot that we can learn as songwriters from from Steve Rice. So I want to get right into it. Here's my conversation with Steve Rice on the 57th episode of the Christian Music Blog Podcast. Here's a strange 
be found through death and pain Wiseless perfection took the blame But hallelujah For a part in it would take the cross Salvation paid for at the highest cost And the redemption gained at heaven's last Oh, hallelujah What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood Nothing but the blood What can make me Steve Rice. Steve Rice is the VP of Publishing for Centricity Publishing, and um, he's he's done so many great things. He has uh, really spearheaded a lot of amazing things within the worship movement. And Steve, I'm just so thankful that you had some time to come on our podcast. Thanks for being here here with us today. Thanks a lot, man. I'm, I'm glad to do it. So um, before we get into talking about Centric Worship, the new label, and and what you guys are doing with that, I'd love to kind of hear your story about how you got a passion for for songwriting and for helping other songwriters grow in that craft. How did it all start for you? Well, it started, I guess, when I was uh, a teenager. I, I started writing songs uh, about my faith. I, I was uh, passionate for Jesus and I picked up a guitar and learned to play it a little bit. My youth pastor and I would... Uh, play guitars and sing worship choruses on Sunday night in my little Baptist church. And uh, so he really uh, stirred me up in the, the music area, and, and I, w- I wanted to pursue that. I'd always felt called the ministry and knew that it was a little bit of a different path than what might be typical. I didn't know what that was, and I, I went off to Nashville, studied uh, music business at Belmont, and um Ended up on the business side. As much as I love music and uh, and love to play it, I thought that the business side was where I needed to be. And my first job out of college in Nashville was in a music publishing company, and I've done that my whole career. That was almost thirty years ago. I can't believe it. And so, uh, so I've just spent most of my adult life, well, all of my adult life, really around songwriters and supporting songwriters and you know, on the administration side and then later on the creative side. and uh, So that's really how I got connected with songwriters. And I've just been around so many my whole life that they're family to me. And I, I believe that I, I understand their needs and their dreams and how they think. And so um, I'm just here to support writers as much as I can. And and because of that, I've kind of stayed away from writing myself over the years because I, I didn't want the writers that I work with to feel like that I was uh, trying to, uh, to write with them or pitch my own songs instead of theirs. So I've just stayed on the business side and that's, uh, uh, that's where I've been, and then we can talk later, but over the years, because of just my calling and certain things that the Lord, situations the Lord put me in, I 
I've spent a lot of time over the last 15 years working specifically with uh, worship songwriters and uh, songs written for the congregation. Uh, I still do work with even some country writers and a lot of CCM artists, uh, but I've had quite a focus on worship over the, the most recent 15 years. Yeah, and you and I first met at the very first Worship Together conference. Um, I, I don't know when that was, like 99 or 98 or something like that. You were really um, a major part in, in in bringing Worship Together with EMI. Certainly that was uh, what you did in terms of your work and your business. But um, that time, that period of time, looking back for me, was like such an amazing time of, of where the church really did begin to transition in a lot of ways regarding music and songs and worship. Can you just speak to that? And and um, I'm sure that's a huge question with a big answer, but um, a lot has happened since then. Yeah, I, I was a music publisher at the time, uh, well, and uh, at EMI, and one thing that I had noticed um, is that really in the if you look back at the history of Christian music in the 1980s, a lot of Christian artists were writing and singing songs that the church could sing in the same way with the 70s, whether it was Andre Crouch or Michael W. Smith or Rich Mullins, Sandy Patty. They were songs that could also be used by the congregation. And then as we got into the 90s and Christian music just exploded. Um, we 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 leaned more toward radio songs and songs that were a little more uh, encouraging songs, entertaining songs, uh, mission driven songs. But we got away from songs that the church could, could use. So when we got into the the back half of the '90s, I started noticing that we as a publisher were not really serving the church with songs that they could use, and I, uh, I saw that as a great need uh, and, and part of our calling spiritually, and I also saw it as a, as a business opportunity for us to grow, and uh, uh, it was an area that we were not, we, we were getting away from and needed to get back to. So hmm. that was all kind of what was stirring in me in the mid to late 90s, and uh, the Lord just, uh, I mean, I, I kept it in prayer. There were a couple of guys working with me there that were keeping it in prayer as well, really seeking the heart of the Lord. And the Lord just set up some divine connections. I mean, it was crazy. We, I mean, within, I'd say within a couple of years, we got connected with uh, Louis Giglio and Passion, and out of that, Chris Tomlin and David Crowder and Charlie Hall and uh, and we uh, got connected with John Pack in the UK with Kingsway, and that was Tim Hughes and mm-hmm. um, Matt Redman and Stuart Town and Paul Oakley and many, many others. And then uh, we got connected with Delirious, and it was just all of this kind of coming at one time. And so we uh, we borrowed the Worship Together name from Kingsway. They were using it in the UK for a magazine for some small conferences that they were doing. And we borrowed that and kind of put everything under that banner and just uh, went after it to try to serve the church with songs they could use because all of those songs that, that I mentioned, those writers, 
those were songs that just when we heard them, they they moved us to the core. It was like, okay, I've never heard anything quite like this. Uh, I've heard the old choruses, worship choruses of the 90s, you know, I mean, excuse me, of the 70s, but to meld a more modern style of music with those uh, those prayerful, vertical lyrics of, of worship uh, was just something new and fresh, and it, it took me back to a few things that happened as a teenager that that I knew uh, were why I was called to Christian music. And so I felt like I was getting back to the core of my calling. And the Lord just moved. It was pretty amazing. We showed up at one of those first worship together conferences. I think that was the second. The first one was actually a kind of a test run, much smaller, but that was the first mm-hmm. big one. I see. And uh, God just moved through that. And, and it was amazing to watch because the... The musicians in the U.S. began to uh, to kind of catch on and follow what they were hearing from the U.K. and also from Canada, and uh, and so it was it was neat to see what all popped up. And the Sonic Club popped up right after that, and uh, several others that um, just changed the face of the way that I think the the modern church in the U.S. Uh, does their worship services, you know. So it's, it's been fascinating and a huge blessing over the years. Yeah, that's, man, yeah, totally. It's it's definitely um, changed a, a lot. I think there are a lot of great things that have happened. I'd love to hear you say, like, what encourages you about the last, whatever that is, 15 years or so? Because um, obviously things have just skyrocketed in terms of the, the amount of songs that are available now to the church and worship artists and um, production and just the, I guess you could call it an industry if you wanted to, but um, there's a lot of encouraging things there. What are the things that encourage you, and then are there any things that might concern you? Well, I tell you that there's uh, as far as encouragement goes, um, there's been a couple of times where I've just been almost in tears. One time I, I was definitely in tears, and that that's that's been when I've seen multiple denominations come together, multiple musicians, songwriters of all different levels, all different backgrounds, in the same room, worshiping together with the the, the same song. Music just brings us together and it unifies us. And when we're singing the same prayer to the Lord, the same uh, words of exaltation it's just it's powerful to me and but the, the one uh time that i i said that i definitely was just in tears was early early on in this journey when i went to the uk for the very first time went to a a large worship gathering at wembley stadium i'd never been in anything like that and i don't i'm, I'm guessing i don't know there was probably fifty thousand people there maybe more and uh, but they were from so many different countries, and when I heard people singing the same, the shout of the Lord, they were all singing shout of the Lord at just the top of their lungs together from all these different countries. I heard so many different languages as we were there that day, you know, knowing that people were from all different places, and that just brought me to tears to, to see what a song can do, you know, to unify us in worship. 
And so I've, I've seen that kind of thing over the years. When we did the Worship Together conferences, we saw Baptists and Methodists and Presbyterian and Lutheran with uh, Pentecostal and Charismatic and uh, you know Church of God Assemblies of God, all these coming together. And uh, and that was that was just a, a, a amazing to see that. Um, at those conferences, so that encourages me. Um, it uh, it encourages me that um, that the young, uh, how do I say this? The, the edgy, the hip, the the rock musicians can still write and sing songs of worship. I think years ago they didn't think they could do that uh, on a commercial level. Now they can do that. Uh, so that's encouraging to me. They can express themselves how they want. Um, and I'm encouraged that Christian radio has begun to play worship songs. So when we first started doing this in the 90s, they would not play a worship song. That was just not what they were doing. And uh, today they love it. So that's been encouraging um, business book as well. So uh, That's awesome. Now, things that concern me... Um, I don't know. I think the, the the concern always is that we remain uh, focused on our first love, that we uh, remember why we're writing these songs and why we're making this music, and uh, and we live our life accordingly. That it doesn't just become a job uh, for the musician, the songwriter, the artist, or for me, or and you know those that work on the business side. Mm. Um, and I, I think that that applies to um, pastors as well. I mean, that right. applies to church, church people. It's like when uh, when you do it every day and you have to do it to make a living, sometimes it becomes just uh, you can get in a rut or it just becomes rote. You know, it's just a natural thing that you do. And, and sometimes the, the passion and the emotion and the... Uh, the faith and all those elements of it just begin to take the back seat. So I think that's always a concern and something we're always trying to make sure that we uh, we avoid, you know. And I, I think that's taken care of in our personal walk, you know, our personal relationship with the Lord. Yeah. Yeah, that's very true. Good stuff, man. Let's let's talk a little bit about centric worship, and I know that you've you've been. VP of Publishing with Centricity Publishing, which is a part of uh, the Centricity la- music label, um, and we've actually had John, we actually had John Mays on the podcast last fall, uh, who's a terrific guy. I love that guy, and um, so I love that I love that family of musicians and artists and what you guys are doing there. But now, Centric Worship is 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 distinct from that. So why don't you tell us a little bit about where that was born and and how that's come to be. Yeah, I'd love to. Um, I came to Centricity a little over two years ago, almost two and a half years ago now. And when I when I came here, uh, Centricity's primary focus was uh, CCM music, contemporary Christian music, music for the, for the radio and for concerts. And they they didn't have a lot going on in worship. They did have a little bit, but but that wasn't their primary focus. Um, as a music publisher, I saw that as a um, an opportunity for growth uh, on the business side, but I didn't pursue it because I 
as I said earlier, I didn't want to do it for the wrong reasons. You know, I had spent a lot of time in worship music over the years. I knew what it could do for us financially, uh, but I didn't want to do it for that reason. I also had, uh, you know, uh, management here at the company saying, uh, you know, you've got history in worship, so we want you to start a worship division. And I actually uh, hesitated for about a year and a half. Um, and uh, I just didn't, I wanted to do it right. And I, I prayed about it. And uh, the way we kicked off, Centric worship was uh, with a retreat. Uh, we wanted it to be authentic. We wanted it to be real. We didn't want it to be copycats and do what everybody else is doing. Um, we wanted it to be fresh from a musical perspective. So I invited 12 uh, worship leaders, songwriters that I knew, um, some that were uh, quite young and green and some that were, uh, who are fairly well-known and who have written songs that thousands and tens of thousands of churches are singing on Sunday morning. And so it was a real uh, interesting mix of people, but all people that I believed in uh, from a professional uh, music level that I knew could, uh, and, and uh, on a spiritual level, that I knew could write songs that the church would want to sing. And so we all got together, and we went up to the Cascade Mountains to a retreat there in Winthrop, Washington, and spent a week together praying, uh, spending time in the Word, writing songs, and having worship times that we recorded. We had worship every morning and every night. We wrote songs in the afternoon. We took a few musicians with us, and a, a producer, Mike, uh, Michael Fan, was a uh, he's a songwriter, artist, and uh, worship leader and producer. And he was there with us and, and helped me kind of pull together the recordings. But we recorded our times of worship using the songs that we wrote that week, and it was powerful. And it just kind of took its own direction musically. It, it came out very organic. Uh, uh, spiritually, I feel like it was very authentic. We all just got in the studio together, threw pillows on the floor, put a couple of comfy chairs in there, all sat around, and all the musicians, band, singers, everybody was in one room together, recorded it completely off-grid, no track, I mean, no uh, click. It was just nice. very interesting. We had, we had a lot of bleed over on the microphones. We had to do jumped through a lot of hoops on trying to edit things, but uh, but we captured something really special, and the songs, uh, I feel, uh, are very hymn-like. They're very strong in doctrine, which is something that's extremely important to me. Mm -hmm. um, and so uh, we've released, to, to launch Centric Worship, we released an EP of eight songs from that worship retreat, and we actually, and that was back in the spring of this year. And that song, uh, that album was called All the Saints, live from the Centric Worship Retreat Number One. And we have number two coming out uh, this summer. It's going to be called Come Alive, live from the Centric Worship Retreat cool. Number Two. Awesome. And uh, so, yeah, we recorded enough, enough from that retreat for a couple of EPs, and we're actually going back for another retreat 
in August of this year and taking a very different group of songwriters. So that's how we got started, and uh, and I'm excited about that. I can uh, tell you a little more, but I'll be quiet now and let you ask some more questions. No, man, that's great. I love love hearing about that. Um, it was um, awesome to see on YouTube. Obviously, you guys did these videos of what you were just describing with the, you know, the 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 big group in one room. I I even saw you there um, in the back, and and I guess your whole team is with you. And I just love that because you guys are just worshiping Jesus, and it's pretty simple. And uh, they're great great songs. I love the songs. Um, tell me a little bit more about what it's like in terms of um, your writers, your artists as they work together. And how have you found that to be just with a different variety of experience, as you just mentioned as well? Well, collaboration on songwriting, I think, is so important. Uh, number one, it's a, it's a way to grow as a songwriter, uh, writing with people that write a little different than you, that have been writing longer than you, that uh, just have different experiences, different ideas. It's a great way to write songs period, whether you're writing a, a mainstream pop song or you're writing a worship song. Um, so all of the songs written on this retreat were collaborations. We, we did bring a couple of songs in beforehand because we knew it would take a couple of days to finish up songs. So the first day we recorded some things that we brought in, and I think one or two of those were written just by a single person. But... Uh, everything written at the retreat were, were collaborations, and one of the songs that has uh, has been one of the most popular on the YouTube videos is a song called Overwhelm Me, and it had five writers on it, which is a bit unusual, but it was just a, it was it was fun to see that happen because it started with three writers. I remember. One afternoon there, I was in. Uh, we were staying in various cabins and using those cabins also for for writing. And my bedroom was kind of in an open loft at the top of a cabin, and there were three writers writing down in the living room while I was trying to catch a nap. We were so worn out. But uh, I remember hearing them start that song, and then uh, later that afternoon. Um, we thought, well, here's another writer that we think would really bring something special to this because we felt like it wasn't quite done. We brought in Jared Anderson. He joined in on the song, took it to a new level. Then the next day, Michael Farron listened to it before we recorded it, had some ideas, jumped in, threw some ideas on it, and uh, it just turned out really special. I had five writers. So those kinds of things are fun to watch, just watch the song develop. And I think that's something that young writers... Um, amateur writers don't do is write and rewrite and rewrite a song until it until it works, mm. you know? Yeah. And the professional writers will do that. They'll write it, they'll listen, they'll show it to some other people, they'll come back to it a day later or a month later, rewrite it. Um, that's the way you write songs that the world wants to sing. Mm. You know, you have to shape them, you have to craft them, and I I think that's a mistake that a lot of uh, younger writers in the church make is they feel like, oh, I got this inspiration from God. I can't tweak it or change it because this is God's song. Mm -hmm. And, you know, but um, I believe the Lord moves through us, you know, in the creativity he's given us. And we certainly have uh, 
the right to shape these things and, 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 and make them uh, what the church will want to use and want to sing. So there's, there's a craft to songwriting. We saw a lot of that come out that week. And uh, so did, did that answer your question? I think I got yeah, a little off track. No, 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 that's good, man. I'm, I'm loving it. Why don't we talk a little bit more about that, just the, the songwriting craft, especially for those I mean, you began to address, um, you know, new writers who are getting started. And um, I know that they would just love, a lot of these listeners are um, aspiring writers themselves. And so what would you say to them in terms of what are some actionable things they can begin to do as they get started? You know, we're in a songwriter's town um, here in Nashville. And I know it's very different in other, other cities. It's, it's a little more difficult when you're not in a place where, you know, every other person's a songwriter. Uh, but collaboration's important. You know, if you can find those people, whether you go down to the local music store and hang out until you find them, or you join, you know, clubs and associations and groups, or just people in your church, I think collaboration's extremely important. It's yeah. it, iron sharpens iron, you know? It's, uh, I, I think it's, I want to be careful how I say this, I think it can be arrogant for somebody to think that they can do it all themselves. Yeah. Um, I think we need each other. And, uh, and we need each other's perspectives. Um, and sometimes somebody can just throw out one word that changes everything mm. or one idea that just makes it that much better. And uh, so uh, and this, is a, this is a side note, but uh, I see a lot of amateur musicians try to divide up. Uh, I wrote 78% of this and you wrote, you know, this percent of that or... You know, they try to divide it up based on the words they contributed or the time they contributed. And uh, to, to us, you know, on the professional side, we believe that, as I said earlier, one word can make all the difference. Mm-hmm. And so uh, you split it evenly and, you know, everybody has something to contribute. But, but collaboration is important. Joining songwriting groups, getting online, reading, uh, you know, everything from from blogs to articles to magazines to uh, uh, and going to um, going to conferences and seminars on songwriting. I mean, if you really want to be a, a professional songwriter, or uh, at least want to um, move up a few steps in your craft, you have to invest in it, just like anything else. You yeah. know, just yeah. you just some, you take dance classes or cooking classes or whatever. You need to. You need to learn, so you need to take go to some seminars and learn, and you need to take uh, some classes in college if you can. And to me, if you're serious about it, you have to do those kinds of things. And uh, you know, you don't just wake up one day and you're uh, a hit songwriter. A lot of people think that, that it just happens like magic, and one day you get an inspiration and you have a hit song, or that just because your parents and your pastor love the song that it's everybody else in the world is going to love it. Your friends are always going to love it. And your family in the world is going to love it. But um, you really have to work at it. You really have to work at it. And it's, you know, you study it. And, uh, but there are tons of books out there. So I I just said, I guess I would say studying through, uh, through books and through seminars and classes and also through collaboration with other musicians. Yeah. Best advice I can give, and you know, and then at some level, at some t- point in time, those who are who are super serious about it and want to make a living with it, most of the time will move to a music city like Nashville, 
or New York or LA or Atlanta where things are going on and they can live and work in that community of music makers. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. And you know, I was actually thinking as you were talking uh, there about, you know, the, the pastor and the parent and the, you know, the, the friends and family thing, you know, these folks who go on American Idol or, or some reality show and, and they've been told by those people their whole life that they're amazing. And then they finally get a, <laughs> a little bit of a reality check, you know what I mean? And just how important right. it is to, to get that feedback from honest people and to get as much as you can, um, because it gives you a, a, a clearer perspective of what is real. And so I'm just reminded of that as, as you share that. That's really good. And I love your, your blog, I think, Songsphere. Is that still there? I, I check it out every now and then. I, I, I learned a lot from that blog um, a couple of years ago especially. Yeah, I mean, Songsphere is, is very practical in terms of the, the art and craft um, and, and you might even say science of songwriting. I actually was, was talking to Jenny Owens the other day about songwriting, and she was just beautifully sort of talking about there's the scientific side of it, and then there's the artistic side of it. Um, I'd love to hear you talk about that, if, if, if whatever comes to mind there. Uh, well, I've, I've never heard anybody quite say, you know, uh, the science of it. But, <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, I guess I guess she's referring to um, there is a little bit of a, um, I don't know if it's the right brain or left brain. I think they keep changing it up, you know, just the analytical side of of how you craft something in terms of the, the meter and the numbers and the the math, I guess, is kind of where she's coming from there. Um, you know, and then there's the the artistic side that's more, a little bit more intuitive. Yeah, I think, uh, I think she's right. And I, I probably, I mean, she's a, she's a true writer. I mean, she's, she's great at what she does. And, uh, she can probably speak to that science of it a little better than I can. I usually look at it like there's kind of the, we're talking on a commercial level now, and I'll, I'll make that clear. If we're talking on a commercial level, I think of, you know, there's kind of a business side, you use your business brain, and then there's the creative side, you know? And when I say the business side, I mean, you know, you have to think about what, what works, what, what's being, um, what is radio playing right now? What are people listening to right now? What do people like, you know? Um, what moves people? It's not just what moves you. It's like what works for, you know, the the the, the greatest amount of people. Um, you have to think about those kinds of things. You know, who would record this song? Who would sing it? Um, so there's there's all those that side of it as well as the creative side of just what makes you feel good and what you like to do. And um, and then you know, I think a lot of young musicians like try to do the coolest thing they can. You know, oh man, let's do it and you know. Five four, or let's you know all these, you know, super technical things that they want to do, which the average person doesn't care, and the average person probably it makes it more complicated for them to sing, you know, or play. So you have to think about the business side as well as the musical side. But but what I said earlier about I'm I'm talking specifically on a commercial level because you know you can be a hobby songwriter and you can do it however you want and enjoy it for yourself and your family enjoy it. And there's nothing wrong with that. Um, but because this is my business and this is what I do when I make these comments, I'm always commenting from a commercial level, professional level, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I think just, uh, something I've been thinking a lot about lately is that most, most songwriters, they do have this desire to, to see their song be sung by more people. And so I think, too too often people kind of you know um, 
boo the whole commercial side, you know, and, and they, they kind of s- turn their noses up at that. But or I'm, I'm talking specifically young, younger artists and, and without realizing that really when it comes down to it, it's really about serving more people. And I think you've just said it really well. Right. Just, you know, the difference between thinking about yourself as an artist and then thinking about those who you're, you're serving with your art or with your craft as a songwriter. That, that's what I'm thinking of as I hear you talk. And I think that people need to kind of keep thinking that way. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of young artists that they just, they want to bust the system. They don't want to do it like anybody else. They want to do it their own way. You know, they just think, well, if I can be extremely creative and different from everybody else, I'm going to be a superstar. Um, when in, re- in reality, they're pretty much isolating themselves to a small, small group of people that are going to love what they they do, you know. Or they're being extremely arrogant, thinking, as I said before, they can do it all themselves and they can do it their way and, Everybody's going to love them. But uh, there has to be that balance. And, you know, if you want to do it on a professional level, you do have to think about the business side and, like you said, you know, what other people are going to gonna like, you know. So. Yeah. Yeah, man. Well, this has been really, really awesome. I, I, again, thank you so much for being a part of our, our podcast and very excited to see what comes out of Centric Worship in the future. And speaking of the future, I'd love to – to get your thoughts as you just kind of peer into the future as a, as a, as a music industry executive and, and one that understands songs, wh- where do you see things going for the church um, as well as the, the worship songwriter and, and, the, and the music industry for Christian music broadly, I guess, if I can use that word? Well, first, I want the opportunity just to make a quick plug and just say that we, in addition to the... Um, the next live project that we have coming out. We did sign two young worship leaders that I'm extremely excited about for Central Worship, and that is a young man named Corey Voss, uh, who uh, was actually on that first project. He wrote yeah. a song called Nothing But the Blood that, um, that the church seems to really love. We're excited about what we're seeing. A lot of people beginning to use that song in church. And then... Um, a young man named Jonathan Lee, uh, who is, in my opinion, just already becoming a superstar songwriter. He's had uh, dub nominations for Song of the Year, uh, record, songs recorded by Newsboys and Selah and uh, Melinda Doolittle and Phil Craig and Dean and on and on and for King and Country. Mm-hmm. And, and yet he's a worship leader in a church full-time, loves the Lord, loves to lead worship, and... Uh, so I'm excited about both Jonathan and Corey, and we do have, uh, we will have recordings coming out by those guys in the uh, in the near future. So That's I just awesome. want to say that. As far as the future of the music industry goes, um, <laughs> and and worship and the church, I, you know, who knows? <laughs> yeah, but I but I can tell you that um, there are on a. a just in a general music business sense, there's uh, the music business has gone through quite a shaking uh, with new technology, and uh, bootlegging has never been as easy, you know, as it is today. And so, you know, we've pretty much lost our shirts all the way around, you know, from the biggest companies to the smallest um, over the last ten years. Um, and um, music is cheaper today you know, than it used to be. Uh, so much more music is free today. Um, 
it does cost a little bit less to make it, but um, there's still a lot of people that are in the process of making and uh, distributing music that have to support their families, and it's, it's been tough. As we move to streaming, I think streaming is definitely the future. I mean, it's become it's becoming quickly the future on the television and video side with, with YouTube and Netflix and those kinds of things. Yep. Um, I think with Spotify and Pandora and... Um, and other uh, other things like that, that. That that's the future of music listening, where we're become it's becoming a uh, access model over an ownership model. You know, nobody needs to download and own music anymore. They just play what they want to when they want to. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the future. And and so on a business side, we're trying to figure out as an entire music industry how. How we how we monetize those things and make a living and, and be able to continue paying for the ability to make the music. Uh, yeah. So lots of questions. There's that you know I'm involved on um, I'm in on committees and associations and go to seminars on you know changes in the copyright law and you know those kinds of things. I mean for the songwriter songwriters need to understand copyright law and they need to understand where their streams of income are and what's changing in that regard. You know, our streams of income are definitely changing. Um, I mean, we're, we're working under a copyright, U.S. copyright law that was really written in 1909 and then adjusted a few times, and it's just way out of uh, it's out of touch with reality. So there's mm-hmm. a lot of a lot of publishers and songwriters right now that are fighting for some changes in the copyright law that can keep up with. Uh, new technology and where we are headed. So lots and lots and lots going on in that regard, um, and we're all still trying to figure out how do we how do we support our families and still do what we love, you know. And we'll figure it out. Um, on the church side, I mean, I don't know. As long as we keep loving Jesus and uh, building His kingdom and doing the things He said to do, you know, that's the future of the church. I hope. That's right. Um, you can't. I can't tell you how music styles are going to change, you know, I, I hope, you know, my, my hope is the churches will, um, the church worship services will not become concerts, you know, mm. with too much of the fluff, you know, and, yeah. and, uh, trying to impress. And, uh, I just, I just hope they'll stay focused on, uh, on worship, not on, not on music, you know. And I guess this is a good way to end and just to say that worship is not music. Music is not worship, you know. I mean, I, I really hate the... I hate the term to, to call a whole genre of music worship, and when people say worship, they think you're talking about a style of music. I mean, worship is what we do, yeah. um, you know, to exalt the Lord and to, uh, you know, to give Him honor. And... Um, we can do that through music. We can do it through, uh, you know, lyrics. We can do it in lots of other ways. We can do it without music. And so if, if we keep that in perspective in the church, I, I think that we'll be in a good place. Fantastic. That's a great reminder. And again, Steve, thanks again for, for being on our podcast. Now, folks can go to centricworship.com. Is that correct? That's correct. And I believe you're on Twitter. And I'll have all of the links to social media and everything for those of you listening on our show notes today. And uh, thanks again, Steve, for coming on the podcast. Thank you, Nate. I appreciate it.
For today's show notes, just go to christianmusicblog.com slash 57, and you'll see all the highlights of everything that we discussed today. You'll see links to centricworship.com with the new EP, All the Saints, number one, and All the Saints, number two, is probably out by the time you're hearing this sometime this summer. Um, and I encourage you just to, to really listen to what he said about becoming a student. If you're a songwriter and you're just getting started, um, there's nothing that you can do that'll, that'll help you more than just seeking to grow. So obviously you want to write. And, you know, last episode with Jenny Owens, we talked about you know, just sitting down and making yourself do it. Um, and then today, you know, writing with other people, getting that, that feedback and, and that collaboration with other great songwriters is an awesome way to grow, a fast way to grow. But also there's just an amazing amount of resources out there, books and seminars and conferences and tutorial videos and, and ways to grow as a songwriter. And so in today's show notes, I, I put some other links, uh, including um, Steve's blog, Songsphere. It's a great blog. It's got a ton of great articles there on lyric writing, on uh, melody, how to, to really stay sharp as a writer, um, as well as some songwriter interviews, um, business stuff, um, worship leading, and on and on. Just just head over there at our show notes, and you'll get a link to that. That's called Songsphere. That's Steve's um, songwriting blog. And actually, he has a mentoring and consulting link. And um, I'm not sure, you know, you, you can basically reach out to him there. I'm not sure what his schedule is. He's a pretty busy guy. But um, I actually did a songwriting consult- consultation with him a couple of years ago, and it was really, really helpful. I sent him a couple of songs, and um, he, we set it up over Skype. And um, it just was was super instructive for me. So I encourage you to do that for your songwriting. Invest in your songwriting, uh, whether it's through this site at Songsphere, his, his blog, or some other site. I encourage you to invest in yourself and to grow as a songwriter. Also, in today's show notes, I'll uh, give you a link to a, a blog post that I wrote at my blog um, called The Best Books on Songwriting. And it's basically five great books on songwriting that I think every songwriter should have on their shelf. Uh, the Craft of Lyric Writing being one of those by Sheila Davis. And it's a classic. Um, just really important if you're a songwriter. And um, and there are several other books in there. I won't go into all those right now. But um, that's at um, my site, natefancher.com slash best books on songwriting. But I'll just put that link in our show notes today. Again, the show notes for this episode, christianmusicblog.com slash 57. All right, that's it for session 57. Thanks for checking out our podcast. I want to remind you of the gift that I have for you. Head over to christianmusicblog.com slash gift, and you're going to find how I use Evernote to stay organized as a songwriter. It's a PDF and an MP3 where I talk through that PDF with you and um, give you all the the tricks and tips, if I can use those words, on how to use Evernote in your songwriting process. So again, to find out more about that, simply sign up at christianmusicblog.com slash gift. All right, everyone, have a great couple of weeks. We'll see you next time on the CMB Podcast.
listening to the CMB Podcast. For more valuable content, including helpful articles and video, visit christianmusicblog.com.